0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Bash Mania. Before he took an assistant coaching job as a Badger at the University of Wisconsin, he was an Iowa Hawkeye where he wore the black and yellow and won two NCAA championships, appearing in three straight finals. I hope you enjoy this episode. If you do, be sure to leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're not subscribed to the podcast yet, be sure to subscribe wherever you listen, whether it's Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, you name it, just make sure you are subscribed. It's Bash Mania! all right, Matt McDonough, how are you, man? I'm great. How are you? I'm pumped, man. You're the third straight two-time NCAA champ, three-time NCAA finalist coming on the show, so you can't go wrong with that. Hey, that's that's a good thing to have. It's a great thing to have, man. I'm definitely blessed to be able to do this podcast. And speaking of your accolades at Iowa, I want to dive into that story a bit. So to go back to where it started, growing up in Iowa country, being a three-time state champ, what was your experience like growing up and getting started wrestling in Iowa? You know,
1: it's a, it's a hotbed for wrestling uh you're you're in pa and that's another hotbed um the biggest difference i think there is between pennsylvania and iowa is population i'm up in new york you, i'm in southern oh, Canada. You're in new york yeah. you're in new york i thought you
0: were pa i'm just such a penn state guy you you would that's probably it. assume yeah. I'm I'm in just pennsylvania. You. all right <laughs> i'll convert you a little bit yeah. get you to the middle of the fence that's yeah. okay
1: um So the biggest difference between some of those hotbeds in in Iowa is the population. There's not a big population in Iowa. So it feels like there's that many more people that are fanatical about wrestling and love the sport. And that's what's really unique and exciting about being around Iowa is it's almost like every person you meet is a super huge wrestling fan. Um, But it's, you know, it's uh, great people. One of the one of the best places I've ever, you know, been at. Obviously, I've lived there for a long, long time, and I'm still in the Midwest. What Um, got you
0: started when you were wrestling?
1: So my dad, actually, he wrestled kind of one of those things where I tell people, and it surprises them, and I keep telling them because he wasn't ever a big name, but he uh, started wrestling in ninth grade and walked on at Iowa in the 70s when Dan Gable was still an assistant, Um, and he actually was part of the 75-76, the first NCAA title teams um at Iowa. He was a starter in 76 when they won it. He got third in the Big 10, qualified for the NCAA. So that I, I'm you know, as a son, I'm pretty proud to be able to yeah, say Yeah, I would be. <laughs> My dad uh he walked on at Iowa and found his way to the lineup his senior year and um had some success. Obviously didn't do what he wanted, but he always gave me that drive um just to and not even to to be competitive, but really just to love the sport and um, I attribute a lot of my connection to the sport of wrestling to him and my upbringing from from that.
0: And it's funny how small the sport is because I haven't heard the name Jay Borschel in years. And then Friday, Quentin Wright was on the podcast and he was telling me about his relationship with Mark Perry and how Mark Perry was the basically sole reason he ended up beating Jay Borschel in the Big Ten semis his freshman year. And then when I'm kind of doing a deep dive into your career, you wrestled with him in high school, right? You were a freshman, he was a senior. Yeah. That's yep.
1: wild. Yeah, so that's kind of the the claim to fame for Linmar High School. Is in 2010 we had two out of ten NCAA champs. <laughs> and uh the the crazy part about it is um Lindmar High School has never got better than a, a third place trophy as a team at the state wrestling championships. We have a great coach, uh Doug Stryker has been there. He was there even before Jay Borschel was in high school. He wrestled at Iowa and was an All-American. He's from Iowa. Um, So obviously he had a really great coach, but it's just – it's never been a school where we had some powerhouse teams and we just railroaded everybody. It's just a good school. It's produced some some awesome wrestlers, and that was kind of fun in 2010, having both of us from the same high school go on and win it.
0: What do you think led to your success and his success early on when – like you said, it's not a program that produces that on the regular, right? What do you think led to the success that you guys had?
1: Um, one thing that I, I we we always pride ourselves on at Linmar and um that our coach always taught us is just being homegrown, really um respecting your roots and and uh having a lot of pride for that. Yeah. Um and you know, it, it was one of those things where I learned from an early age that you don't have to go to the, the best wrestling school. You don't have to um, be at the powerhouse to have your own success. You just have to um, have a great support crew around you and, and great guidance. And I was fortunate to have some great guidance from my own family, but also my coaches and obviously uh, Borschel was older than me. So other wrestlers that were older and um, just, you know, really loving that, that, kind of that striving for greatness
0: yeah and it's funny because again the similar story to Quentin. Quentin grew up 20 minutes out outside of Penn State and Linmar is what like 40 minutes outside of Iowa
1: yeah we're my house in Marion Iowa was 45 minutes from Carver Hawkeye Arena so I imagine it was just a a natural fit to go to Iowa for college so kind of interesting actually um I narrowed it down to three schools and um, you know, coach brands knows this too. It's, it's kind of a story I've told to other recruits over the course of my time, but I was very, very close to going to Northwestern. So Tim says, wrestled with my dad in college. Um, they were on the same team. Their workout partners are one weight class apart and they were wow. really close. And so he recruited me really hard. And then Barry Davis was up here at uh, Wisconsin. And obviously he's from Cedar Rapids. He's from same exact area as me um, and my family. And so I got recruited there hard, but, uh, it was a, it was a tight, tight fight. Um, but I think in the end, exactly what you're saying. Um, it was just, it wasn't that I didn't think about anywhere else. It was that deep down in my heart, I kind of probably always knew that, you know, if the opportunity was there, I wanted to go to Iowa and the opportunity was there. So in the end, I, I wanted to chase my dreams, of, of. you know, winning a national title for the University of Iowa.
0: And did Borschel have anything to do with you going there? Like, was there a conversation there where it's like, I imagine you guys had some kind of relationship. I remember what it was like being a freshman with seniors. You're not super close, but did that play into it at all?
1: Definitely, definitely played into it. Um, It was, uh, it was somewhere I always looked up to him, you know? Um, And again, not necessarily as a specific close mentor, but just that, that senior, that older wrestler that you're always trying to kind of, you know, follow, not even follow his footsteps, but follow his lead. Um, And he was at Virginia Tech um, when I um, was younger in high school, because my sophomore year is when he was at Virginia Tech for the first year. Um, And then they moved back um, starting my junior year. And that's when it was really like, all right, Iowa, this is awesome. I got people, a lot of people I know here. One of my um, teammates that I've always looked up to is going there. And um, it, it definitely had an effect. But uh, it was just a good good situation coming up through high school when all that happened for the chance to do you know, something pretty awesome.
0: For sure. And what was your expectation heading into college? Like here you, you were a three-time state champion – I imagine, you know, it's funny. I hear it so often now in like the post Cal Sanderson era. It's like I want to be an undefeated four time national champ, and Cal made that possible to where it wasn't just some figment of the imagination. Somebody yeah. had now done it. Like, what was
1: your expectation heading to college? I wanted to, you know, I didn't necessarily have an expectation. Um, it was, it was interesting because it, it was such a, I mean like a lot of these rooms are now, it was such a crowded room with a lot of high level talent. Yeah. Um, but my expectation was never to just make the lineup. I always wanted to do something special. Um, I think being a four time NCAA champ was my, that was my, my, you know, my first goal, um, winning a world Olympic title was another goal I had when I started, um, college. And, um, it just kind of, it just kind of, continue to grow from there and evolve and obviously when you have undefeated four-time just like you said that's kind of the gold standard for yeah. I mean you saw Kale Sanderson do that and you're like well it's possible I want to right. be the next person to do that I mean there's only one person put yourself on the list and then obviously four-time champs there's now there's only been what four is that right? right four there's only been four um so that's another one that's huge and Um, I was fortunate after my freshman year that at least part of that was still alive. And then in my sophomore year, I, uh, I didn't, um, I didn't win, but came back and did it my junior year. So, um, that was, that was a big expectation, but you, you try to, uh, keep things in perspective and not get too far ahead. And that's where you, if you have great coaches, they keep you focused on the immediate future and that, you know, every time you reach an immediate milestone, then you can, Push that into the next one. Totally. And you
0: mentioned the NCAA final matches, and I want to talk about that a little bit. I know that when you were competing, I was just starting to really follow wrestling. Like now I'm a cult follower. right? I'm watching European championships and stuff. But after Kale took the job at Penn State and moved there, I started going down there and hanging around the Penn State room. And those first few years, that was about when Nico was in the room. So I remember rooting for Nico against you. This is like when I'm starting to watch wrestling and like really following it. And I remember thinking like this dude is just headstrong. And I think Nico was like the ten seed, and you were the one seed that year. He was
1: he was low um, that year. I think I he, was, he 10, was ten, but he he was, he was definitely a lower seeded guy. I mean, he was he wasn't like a top three seeded guy. Right, either.
0: and he was having a great tournament. What
1: was your perspective heading to the finals your freshman year? That was my my junior year? My freshman year was against Andrew Long. That's right. ironic. That's right. Sorry. Was another coach Kale wasn't in the corner for that. Um, uh, that was uh, Kevin Jackson was the yeah. head coach then. Um, but that was another guy that Cale had coached. So my freshman year with long, I remember specifically, you know, you've beat the guy three times, but everyone's been tough and everyone's saying it's hard to, you know, it's hard to maintain that many close matches and win every one. And I was like, there's no way I'm winning the first three and losing this one in my mind. Right. Um, but there's no like sure thing. So it's just focus on what you can and don't let him score anything. Be smart. I think um, you know one thing. I look back on is people make uh, don't make big adjustments. They make they definitely make adjustments in finals matches. They're just a little more tactical, um, and that's something that you see. You know, some of the greatest they're able to do what others aren't, and that's wrestle wide open in a finals match. And I, I, you know, I'll, I'll be the first to admit it. I didn't wrestle wide open in any of my finals match. I was just trying to get the win, fight, score points. Um, and that, um, that's something that, you know, I saw like, like David Taylor, uh, Brent Metcalf, some of those guys, I mean, they're in finals matches and, um, they're throwing it out there, even shoot, even Caldwell against Metcalf Yeah. uh, or you got, you know, Zane putting on bonus points or you could, you could, could go on and on, but some of the top guys put up big bonus points in finals matches and that's awesome. Um, but I just remember going into that match knowing we've had three battles, like in a knockdown drag out fights. Um, I think every one of them was the first one was the biggest. That was like I beat him by five or six or seven. And then everyone, the other two after that were overtime and a one point match. So I knew it was going to be a battle going into that one. And, um, you know, came out, uh, came out ahead. And then my sophomore year. Um, obviously that was a very interesting year. We can talk about that a little more, um, later, but, um, you know, that, that obviously I lost that one. What was your
0: perspective going into that match?
1: You know, it it was hard because, you know, in your heart, like I want to win. I don't. And for
0: those listening, if there's anybody like a casual fan who doesn't know, he wrestled Anthony robles i think that's how you say his name robles robles his sophomore year who is it has an insane story he is an ncaa champion and he has one leg and it looked tough wrestling him because for him to be your weight without a leg you can imagine how strong his upper body is Mm -hmm. like take one of your legs off whatever that would weigh and that's basically in his upper body and what was your thought going into that match? What was your perspective?
1: It, it was, you know, and this is where I say it was difficult because you are essentially the villain in the Cinderella story. Yeah, um, and that's not how I looked at it. I tried to look at it like, which, by the way, I was, for
0: Iowa's status quo. <laughs> yeah,
1: right. I, I so actually, to think about that. It's kind of like a kind of like double whammy, right? Um, but. I didn't look at it that way, but I and I tried not to, but you yeah, you know yeah. that's, you know, the country already, you're an Iowa guy, so they already you got yep. little extra piece of the country like, ah, we don't need to see another <laughs> Iowa guy win. But right. then you got even the people who don't care about Iowa are seeing, well, shoot, I got we got a one-legged guy. We want to see that's history. Yeah. Um and hats off to Robles. I mean, he he wrestled a great match and uh it's one of those things where Um, it definitely, I think was to his benefit that I had never felt that before. And, you know, that's, um, that just is what it is. I would have loved to have wrestled him before that. I think that would have given me a lot more ammunition, um, being prepared for that match. But, you know, you have a lot of people state their opinion on that. And it's just, it comes down to the fact that he wasn't, and I've actually talked to him about this. He wasn't at an advantage or a disadvantage, just like everybody else. And that's what's beautiful about the sport of wrestling. It's amazing. It doesn't matter who you are, what your body type is. If you're able to make your style, your body, your physical self to the absolute best you can make it, there is nothing holding you back. And I've had a lot of people who are, you know, um, strong supporters of mine or people not even close to me, but just, you know, fans who are like, oh, that's so unfair. He's it's just the way he gets to wrestle, and uh, I'm like, seriously, come on, the guy, the, the man has one leg, right? He made weight just like me. He's not at an at advantage or a disadvantage. He's just another guy I got to beat, yep. and he yeah. has a very unique style that he right. made work for him. And I'll tell you what, I I still wish I could go back and wrestle that match and win. <laughs> it doesn't, I don't feel like you know, I I owed it to to anyone to to lose that match. Um, I still want that. That one still hurts, but you know he's a he's a great uh, wrestler and even better person. And that was, uh, it's one of those experiences where it's bittersweet. Like you're you're you it's really a good way to, to lose.
0: It's one of those things where yeah. I feel like it's always good to lose to somebody who you respect. To respect your opponent in that regard and say, man, hats off to you. It's one thing I can never understand about UFC fighters. Like they go out and punch each other and beat the hell out of each other. And they hug, and I'm like, "What? Like, I, I can't, how do you respect someone you beat up?" But with wrestling, it's somewhat similar, but you don't always see it. And you know, you mentioned the the Cal- the Caldwell metcalf ending. Like you, oh, yeah. you mentioned some of these things. It's not always that way. When after you lose that match, you obviously, I don't care how happy you are for him, you still wanted that championship. What did that do for your hunger heading into that next year against Nico? Oh, it was
1: it was huge. Um, it, it, I don't want to say it reignited my hunger, but it just put me right back in that category of I'm chasing it down. I'm not protecting anything. And I don't think my sophomore year was all about that, but there's a little sense of that when it's hard to to win back to back. Yeah. I mean, even some, uh, even several people, several people, many people, probably, I don't know if it's, I would love to define the numbers, but there may be more people who win multiples, not back to back than back to back. I don't know. But there's a significant number of people who struggle to win them back-to-back because it's hard. I mean, it's hard when you are...
0: Gabe Dean uh, just told me that last week in the podcast. He told me when he wrestled Bo, and granted, he won back-to-back sophomore and junior, but then trying to go back-to-back or three in a row with junior senior, he yeah. just said, I wasn't myself. I wasn't, like, happy. I wasn't hungry. And it goes into a great story about how he kind of felt lost. But to that point, like... It's tough, and Burroughs tells me that all the time. Like, man, it's it's tough to be the top dog. To it, it, It's sometimes
1: easier to be in the hunt than to be the hunted. For sure, and that takes me back to what my dad always used to tell me, um, and it probably comes from like a gable um, philosophy. But, hey, if you won it this year, you got to be three times as good to win it next year. That's what I always remember hearing, and I'll still tell kids that because everybody else is going to get twice as good to try to beat you. So yeah. you want to stay ahead. you got to get three times better than you are right now by next year in that finals. And I think about that. I'm like, man, that's a tall task. But yeah. looking back, it is absolutely true. Like you can't just keep doing the same work and, um, you know, status quo. You have to ramp it up even more. And, I mean, it, that's why it's that much more amazing what some of these international guys like Jordan Burroughs. I think people – especially because he's older now and there's other studs out there. Kyle Dake is a stud and there's kind of that little bit of heatedness um, right now. But when we all look back, I mean, it's it's unbelievable what Jordan Burroughs is doing. Um, and that's why it's that much more insane what Bruce Baumgartner did. And he often gets overlooked when you talk about the greats. I mean, to be at an elite level for that long and be on the top or near the top of the podium for that long is hard to do in this sport I mean it is yeah. physically demanding but it is just it is just as mentally demanding because it is an individual sport and it is you against one other human and you I mean it's a combat sport you're trying to control yeah. them but um going back I guess going back trying to stay a little bit on course going back to the to, to NCA's after that it was just like it was like the fire got reignited you know you're you are super upset, and you wanted to win, yeah, um, yeah. but maybe after the fact you look back and you think like you really do self-reflection. Did I really want to win bad enough? Because if I wanted to win bad enough, I know I could have done it. And it, whether it's true or not, it just sparks that that uh, drive to all right. I'm 100% focused on one thing and one thing only, and that's winning it all.
0: And I, I imagine too that you know one of my thoughts is how did you not burn out, right? If you're four-time state place winner in high school, three-time state champ, you're having an incredible career in college, how did you not burn out? Is it because you have defeats that kind of reignite that hunger? Or what is it that kind
1: of prevents that burnout from taking place? I think it's a balance. I think balance is a very, very important thing in this sport. I think when you... And I'm not just talking about like balancing your hobbies or, you know, your time, sure. more about the mental balance. When you keep perspective and you, you have a balance about what's important and uh, what you're doing it for, that really helps. And just like you, you know, um, Gabe, you said Gabe recently talked to you about kind of he just wasn't quite just wasn't quite the same his senior year. I mean, that's what happened to me. And unfortunately, I, I fell off a lot worse than others did. Um, And I have to live with that. And now I'm a lot, I'm not, I don't want to say I'm okay with it, but now I accept it a lot more than I maybe did right after college. I had some injuries. I had some things that were affecting me. Um, But there was a a very big significant mental factor in my senior year of just not being myself. And you lose that balance of what am I doing it for when you're suffering through um, weight cutting and you also have injury and you let yourself focus on all the bad and all the struggle. You you're, you're beating yourself. And a lot of wrestlers do that who have success when they're really young. And this is why I'm so passionate about youth wrestling. Um, is you have it's that much it's harder that much harder when you're so good for your whole career to maintain that than a steady buildup um, to your you know to your collegiate and international and a perfect example is comparing people like um like david taylor to uh jordan Burroughs. david taylor's he, he's around the same age as me you look at that guy's accolades from the day he stepped foot on the mat first till now yeah. i mean he has reached milestone after milestone after milestone it is very hard to do that and that's hats off to him and then you look at jordan Burroughs and you know, I think he was a maybe a one time state champ in high school. One, yeah. One time state champ in New Jersey. New Jersey is a tough state. He is. I had just told, maybe, maybe,
0: was it Gabe? Dean? you know I was telling? Somebody, I, yeah, I think it's Gabe Dean, Chris Pendleton, and Jordan Burrows are three of the guys that have been on the podcast that have more NCAA championships than state titles.
1: It's wild. <laughs> and you see, look, look at that. And how many people can you name that were killers from the day they started all the way through? Um, so there's a lot of drop-off because it's a very demanding sport. It, there, the, all the pressure is on you. All, everything is on you. It's individual. So having that balance and and being able to, to be in the the right mental state, um, from a young age building up really makes it, um, really gives you more chance of success. I'm not saying you can't be successful, but, you know, and, and, um, that's something that is factored into, I think, every wrestler. So that that burnout um, is is very prevalent, and avoiding that is just as hard as uh, as chasing your goals. You just have to yeah. focus on what's right and always know that that suffering you're doing now will be <laughs> worth it later. I always remember I used to tell myself in, in college, you know, suffer now, reward later. That's what I always used to tell myself, and Shoot, even today, sometimes I have to think about that in different regards of life because we want instant gratification. We want that feel good right now rather than seeing uh, our discipline through and having an even better reward maybe months or years later. And the older you get, the more it turns into years instead of weeks and months. Like when you're making big time grown up life decisions, uh, you're thinking about like three, four years down the road and that's hard to do. My pastor,
0: my, my pastor years ago said, you got to be careful in this world because good things will keep us from great things. And I love that because there's so many things that especially on the short term look good. But like you said, making a decision for three, four years down the road. Yeah. that's that. Those are the great things. And it's hard to do that. It's hard to keep a proper perspective and one more thing I want to talk about real quick I, I I want to talk about your injury your senior year and your mindset to that but also didn't you cut down from
1: like 41 to 25 your freshman year so I thought I was going to be a 41 pounder as a when I was a redshirt I was yeah. I was a 33 pounder and I was tall lanky very very lean you know you would kind of figure I'm going to get into a college weight room I'm going to bulk <laughs> up to 41 I just I've always uh, been a good uh, sweater and, and lost a lot of weight and workouts and through my whole freshman year I was wrestling at 133 and I'd weigh out of practice at 33 or below almost every day without like doing I you mean you can't just bulk doing- up when your mindset is run a marathon for fun like you did yesterday <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm you know I, I I'm trying to think of new and exciting ways to to punish myself these days and that was one of them <laughs> <laughs> so your senior year now, you're here. You are two time national
0: champ, three time finalist. You you have the obviously the skill, the talent, the mindset to be a three time NCAA champ, four time finalist, and you suffer an injury. Tell me a little bit about the injury, and tell me a little bit about your mindset after that happened.
1: So I don't know if it was like a like one of those uh, acute injuries or a wear and tear injury, but. Yeah. Um, I had a a labral tear. There's plenty of college wrestlers. I mean, I've talked to my trainers. There's a plethora of college wrestlers that probably have them undiagnosed. Um, and it's all just person to person, whether it's symptomatic or not. And so after the Olympic trials in 2012, after my junior year, um, I had some shoulder issues. I got a MRI and, um, it showed I had a labral tear. So. I really had to think about whether to get surgery and try to come back midway through the season my senior year, which I had never had a, you know, a major surgery that made me miss any time before. And I chose not to, whether that was right or wrong, who knows, irrelevant at this point. Tried to just do rehab and strength over the summer and, you know, probably you're you're coming off a national title. So you want to do camps, you want to, you know, be out there having a good time in the summer. And not even partying, but just have a good time of traveling around and being involved in wrestling. And so I probably wasn't as diligent. And when I say probably, I definitely wasn't as diligent (laughs) with my rehab as I should have been, um, because you're riding that high of being a champ. And then um, in the preseason, I was training and uh, ended up having a a neck issue. I had a bulge disc in my neck, uh, C5, C6, C7 kind of area. And... (laughs) funny thing is that that nerve affects your right arm so I had a shoulder tear in my right arm and then I have a Got nerve me. other than me in my right arm and I had a I mean probably have some pictures but I have I had a little bit of atrophy in my right arm definitely through the season and it was just like it was painful to run um certain times just my right arm it, you'd be holding on to that single leg like I did all the time um pulling in single legs and all of a sudden now you're holding those single legs extended wrestling guys and you can't hang on. And that was what I made a living on for three years. Yeah. Is people be like, oh, man, that single leg. I was like, yeah, I don't do that anymore because my shoulder. I know that's – you know, I did it to myself. But um, that was really hard. And then when those things – and this is what I've told other people that I've tried to help mentor. Um, When you have an injury and you let those things affect everything else, that's when you start to unravel – And instead of adapting, I was very stubborn and I wanted to, you know, I knew how I cut my weight. I knew how I trained and I didn't want to change my training. And I did a lot of the same things, but you're like fighting your way through it painfully and uncomfortably. And so then your head's getting in the wrong place and then you have losses that you think there's no way you should have. And you let yourself kind of be your own worst enemy. Um, And you know, there there was a long time I still kind of it still bothers me because I still don't look as my at my career is all that good when
0: which, uh, I understand that. But which is wild to like a person like me who, you know, Gabe Dean told me a great story last week about, um, uh, I think, a, a kid in his hometown who has leukemia. I think it was. And he said like him and his dad were talking about like, man, what this kid would do just to lose that match. You're going out to try to win. Like, just for that opportunity to compete. But but I get it. When you have that expectation, and I feel like that, that that's happened a number of times. Like, Mark Perry told me a similar story. All he wanted to do was win an NCAA championship. He did yeah. not care what it was doing to his body when the doctor's like, don't wrestle at NCAAs. And he's yeah. like, I don't care. I'd rather break my
1: freaking neck as long as I win yeah. an NCAA championship. Me, I mean, I didn't sit out a single match until my senior year. I was lucky not to have any major injuries, but I didn't sit out a single match until my senior year, and it was, it was hard for me. I mean, I remember Coach Brand saying, I'm going to, you know, we're not going to wrestle this match, and it wasn't even that I, I don't even know if I fought with him or not, but just that internal, like, that feeling of defeat. Like, I know it's probably the right thing, but I don't want to do it. And, again, not having a strong, my own strong game plan from the beginning of the year to the end and trying to do it just like every other year when you're healthy – you know, you, that's part of being a great wrestler is being able to adapt. look at what, uh, Yanni did. And you said, Mark Perry, look at what he did. I, I can yeah. name several others. Yeah. Corey Clark. Uh, i I was, uh, I was lucky enough to be at Iowa when Corey Clark was a senior and he had very similar injury that I did. And he did a great job of, uh, you know, following the, the coach's lead and, um, you know, being diligent about how he trained and competed, and look at what happened in the end of the year. Yeah. He went through the NCA's, and if you look at who he beat, he may not have had any high-scoring, crazy, wild matches, but that dude beat
0: yeah.
1: every good person in the bracket. I believe he beat uh, he beat the Iowa State, who was a an All-American, um, who was a 33 pounder from Iowa State. I'm Anyways, a he beat. Blank. <laughs> He was a 33-pounder, but he beat him. He beat Michich, He beat Gross. He might have even wrestled Cade Brock or, or one other. or no, no, Tomasello. He beat Tomasello, Meechich, and Gross in the same tournament. That's right. That's three of five wins. That's pretty good for a guy with a torn shoulder. Yeah. So um, you see people do that, and that's that's the mentality you have to have. And that's the mentality I had. Just the way I went about it was wrong. But it was like, yeah. you're not going to get me to throw in the towel. Yeah. And I think um, – having those um, you know those injury seasons uh, whatever it, whatever you call it uh, you know those six years yeah. injury waivers are, are good because wrestlers are the type of people who will break their bodies to yeah. compete if you don't give them an opportunity and having that ability in becoming more and more prevalent is, is very um, very helpful to keep
0: I can't remember when did your injury actually take you out. Was it at NCAA's?
1: So I never, I wrestled every match. I um, I I lost in the quarters to Nashon Garrett in overtime. This was actually right. why I really, I I really beat myself up about because even if I didn't win it that year, yep. with an injury, I, there's no question I, I should have been an All American. I lost in the quarters to Nashon Garrett, who I had beaten earlier in the year. I lost to him in overtime. He rode me out for the entire third period. All I had to do was get an escape or a takedown in overtime to beat him. And then I come back and I wrestled Trent Spranko, who I had pinned the year before in the NCAA tournament. And I lost to him in overtime. So basically in two matches, I was one takedown. You combine two matches. I needed one takedown in two matches to be an All-American for the fourth time. And I, I didn't do it. And I still beat myself up about it. And you know, for a while, I didn't want to talk to people or, or even think about my senior year. I just was so mad and looked at myself as a I felt way short of my goals. But I've been lucky to, um, you know, have some perspective and and time to appreciate that. You know, you still did some pretty awesome stuff. And really, now as a coach. Um, I use it as firepower to help other guys because I've been on both sides of the coin. I've been on that side where, man, you did not do everything perfect, but your, your heart was still in it. But you did not do everything perfect and you fell short and it hurts. And then I've been on the side where, um, you know, you do everything right. You're focused and you attain those goals. So it's helped me a lot as a coach.
0: After you fell short at NCAAs in your senior year, what was your perspective in college wrestling or in uh, the senior level wrestling? Because I know you only wrestled for what was like two years?
1: I think two years. um, I was getting prepared um, for the the Olympics in 2016, Olympic trials in 2016. um, And that was when Ramos and Dennis ended up. I would have been at the same weight. (laughs) um, But I ended up having uh, an ACL tear um, that I had, and I had already had a, another one. So I ended up tearing the only ACL I had left and I <laughs> made the executive decision not to, uh, not to compete and get my knees fixed. Um, it, it, you know, that's, what's hard is it took a, it took a while to get your head back in the right place. And yeah. I, I had some, uh, you know, I made the national team in 20, 2014, I made the national team in 2014. I, I had some success internationally, you know, certainly not to the level I would have liked. Yep. Um, and I actually, after I fixed my knees, I thought about coming back, you know, again and shoot, I still to this day think about it. <laughs> you know, I still wrestle hard in the room with guys and um, train really hard and still have that urge. But that's where you, you um, you just have to, you have to, do a soul searching and make the decision that you think's best for, for you. Um, so my, after my senior year, my perspective was very, very obviously, uh, I was, it was very hot for a while. You know, I was, I was very, um, I don't want to say bitter, but there was a lot of, of mental struggle going on and competing again, certainly helped me, um, at least, get over that senior year, but, um, there's, there's things that you wish you could do, go and do over again, certainly starting with that senior year and it's tough. And that's why I look at these guys internationally who do great things. And I'm just, I'm ultra impressed because it's hard. And yeah. sometimes even you see guys who do great in college. And that's why guys who didn't quite reach their goals in college end up doing even better internationally because, that like you said, there's still that insane drive to be at the top, and um hats off to them. Because- and I ask
0: a lot of guys too. Like I always like I went to a, a, a Spencerport High School, which was really good in New York State for wrestling.
1: Spencerport, I know Spencerport. So
0: so I went to Spencerport, and there was a lot of good guys, but not too many for being like a top team in the state. And like I think my. Freshman or sophomore year, we're like top 20 in the country. Like really good school. But literally, it's like a curve's like this. Like you start here, you have a lot of success and it comes down. Mm-hmm. And it, and I always wonder how some of these guys, like if they start later, would they have that college and senior level success? And it's always interesting because like you said, you have the guys like David Taylor who just don't burn out and they just stay healthy. Burroughs tells me, tells me all the time, like to not get injured, that's part of the game
1: staying healthy it that's that's part of it like trying to do what you can that's part of being great i have said it too many a times is that's part of being great and that's one of those things where you can debate all day whether it's in your control or not i mean to an extent it's certainly in your control but to another extent it's out of your control and that's something that i have to live with is i had injuries affected the way that my career ended yeah. Um, my career started great and injuries affected it, whether it was all my fault or just happenstance is irrelevant, but it's part of being great. You know, it, it is. And that that's a hats off to some of those senior level guys who have done it for this long, beat their bodies up for this long and can maintain health. That's I mean, that's impressive. Yeah. So
0: after you have this, this kind of shortened senior level career, which like you said, you didn't do what you wanted, especially given what you did at the state level, at the national level. You would expect okay, and this is what he did internationally. What was the transition like from athlete to coach, especially when you're when you're still frustrated? Like it's one thing to to transition from an athlete to coach and I have yet to see many guys come on this podcast and say it was an easy transition because whether you have le- stuff left in the tank or whether you le- have to let go of competing like what was your tra- transition like from athlete to coach?
1: Honestly, I I was lucky. Um I didn't go I didn't go straight to a collegiate coaching role where I'm on a staff. Yep. Um so I got to do a lot behind the scenes which Obviously, there's that longing to be the guy in the corner and, you know, jumping up and down at the NCA's when people are winning. But it was very fulfilling. Looking back, it was very fulfilling. Basically, being an athlete coach, you're still training with guys every day, but you're trying to help them learn technique. You're trying to help them learn life skills. You're trying to help them learn um, the right perspective and, and mental edge um, and, I will say that it was, it was easy for me to, um, enjoy trying to teach others and show them wrestling and and talk to them and help them, um, learn how to essentially how to beat me. I mean, you're, you wrestle them for a practice and maybe have some success and then you're like, Hey, you kept letting me do this. Why don't you do this technique? And then I can't do that. So work on that and. (laughs) That that part's a little bit difficult, cause but yeah. you mean when you're doing it for the right reasons, it's not because you're like, well, what do, if I'm not competing anymore? What I mean, I'm gonna try to beat them every time, but my ultimate goal really is that they can kick my butt because that means that then they're gonna continue to yeah. To, and I know, I, know I keep bringing
0: up Gabe Dean. It's just because the conversation is so fresh in my mind. But that's another thing he said. I, I think it was Gabe. Where it's like. Being a wrestler is so selfish. You have to be selfish and you have to take. And Then when yeah. you transition to a coach, it's the ultimate selfless role.
1: Now yeah. all you got to do is give. And honestly, one of the hardest things still is when you're actually re- still wrestling in workouts. Yep. Um you kind of pick and choose, you know, how you're going to wrestle, but not Obviously, you talk to any coach, and it's like you're never going to dummy it down and let someone beat you up and give them false sense right. of security. Yeah, but wrestling's one of those sports where the older you get, the wiser you get. Especially in a room, in a workouts, um, the tougher you get, and you um, you want to you know make sure people are feeling that realistic wrestling the whole time. But when you drilling or you're sparring. It is hard sometimes because you you got a lot of pride and um, you you don't want to ever concede anything. But you also are, are in a teaching role, so yeah. just being a a dick, for lack of better words, sure doesn't do someone a lot of good. Um, if you don't teach them, you know how to beat whatever it is you're doing to them, how to right. overcome that. If you're just you know like hey you need to get tough like that. All right. High five to you. But how we're now you're still making this person learn on their own. You can beat them up. But after you beat them up, you got to teach them how to beat you, which is something that you have to kind of swallow your pride to do. And, you know, you see both sides of it. Especially when you like and, and as you're telling me these stories, I'm thinking about the
0: Wisconsin room. And I'm thinking about guys like Seth Gross, where you're not exactly wrestling with scrubs. (laughs) Like you're wrestling with some of the best guys in in the country. A guy like Seth Gross, who's an NCAA champion, trying to get a second one. And I imagine he's one of those guys in the room that you're wrestling. And if he does something to you, you're like, okay, well now you're trying to help him get
1: better. (laughs) It's like your pride drops instantly. That's actually, to me, that's easier than, um, than anything else it, i used to wrestle with thomas in the in the iowa room a lot gilman yeah um and i mean it was both of us were getting ready and it's you're trying to absolutely rip each other's heads off and it was yeah. the same with gross like i am not gonna hold back i don't i know how good you are yep. not gonna hold back to make you feel good i'm gonna give you everything i have and shoot i i got i've got my butt whipped by gilman i've got my butt whipped by gross for sure um and, and i've you the know, definition got of of, iron sharpening iron. <laughs> yeah. Right. And I've got the better of them in workouts, yeah. um, both ways. Um, but as a coach to guys like that, you're basically trying to give them the absolute best workout they can get, which is giving them every ounce of your effort. Yeah. And then after the, after it, you just, Hey, touch on these points of like, Hey, I felt this because at, at a high level wrestling, you know, you can feel stuff. You just kind of take a mental note. And then after the workout, yeah. Hey, when I'm doing this, why don't you try to you know, adjust your position this way, I think that would help a lot. And beat me in this scenario, I kind of I, I got you in here two or three times today. Well, this is how you don't let this happen again. And that's where me and Gilman always had a lot of fun working out is that's what it would be is we try to absolutely abuse each other. (laughs) And then after the workout, it'd be kind of, you know, just trying to talk about some, uh, some some stuff, you know, back and forth, talk about some positions that maybe could be adjusted um and you know it's it's fun it's really fun to to put a couple heads together and try to think about how to secure certain positions um without any you know any ego or any like hey what's right wrong and just try to figure it out with another high level wrestler that's really fun but um it's also awesome to try to take a guy who maybe doesn't know how good he is um, but has a lot of potential and turn him into a guy who thinks he's king of the world. Sure. That's, that's a whole nother battle too. Yeah. I
0: can only imagine that. And speaking of gross, you know, Wisconsin, I've become a huge fan. I mean, Seth Gross is is my guy and getting closer and closer with reader and Bono. What has it been like? Like what led you to Wisconsin and what, what has it been like being a part of that program?
1: Um, it's been good. It's been a good learning experience, Um, it's in the big 10. Um, it's still in the Midwest. Um, it's had a pretty good amount of history and I knew that bone one reader are extremely hard workers. Um, and I could learn a lot from them. You know, obviously you want to work for, for people who, um, you know, are, are gonna work at a, at a very high level. Um, and it's been really, it's been really good learning a lot and, and really um, getting into that coaching role. That's been the biggest thing is getting into that coaching role and learning the ins and outs of collegiate coaching and um, just building relationships with sure. 30, 30 plus more um, young men. You know, I was fortunate to be at Iowa for a long time and build a lot of relationships. I still have there with with athletes, and to me, that's what it's all about is building that relationships and truly wanting the best for all these guys um, obviously on the wrestling that having success, but also just uh, fulfillment out of uh, wrestling because yep. for every guy that's in a lineup, that's a national qualifier, all American champ, there's twice as many guys who nobody ever hears about and they go through the same grind and you're trying to get guys to the top of the podium but you don't want to forget about the guys who are behind, you know, in the shadows. Yeah. Because this is not a sport that's very fun if you're not if you don't enjoy that um, that toughness of it. Yeah. And you see a lot of people quit because it's like, well, if I'm not having fun, why am I punishing myself this way? Yeah. So you, it's ultra important from the bottom of the lineup to the very top that you try to build relationships with every single guy and make them understand that. This is valuable whether you reach the goals that you came in here with or not. And it's been really fun, you know, from that side of it, getting to um, get close with everybody and build up everybody from, you know, the top line of Seth Gross, Evan Wick, Trent Hilger, um, Tristan Moran, um, Cole Martin, several other of the guys I've got to work with, um, all the way down to, to the incoming new freshmen
0: what have you taken with you from Iowa to Wisconsin from a standpoint of, if you had to take like your recruiting experience, your time at Iowa, like what have you brought specifically, do you think to Wisconsin from that Iowa experience?
1: I think the biggest thing that I've taken is trying to teach guys um, how to enjoy the process of becoming great because you can tell someone how they need to do something like we, we all, obviously, all the, all the entire coaching staff has had a lot of success, um, but to teach, um, to teach these guys, you know, obviously not steps one, two, three, four of how to be successful, but why? And that's just common with the young kids now is, well, why do we do this? And how do you find joy in that pursuit? Because that's what it's really about is the joy and the pursuit and enjoying that struggle and enjoying sure. um, that discipline. And it it's, it's harder than it sounds because, you know, you can tell everybody to wake up early and get workouts on their own. But you can say it a hundred times that people don't want to wake up early because there's no value in it to them. They're not they're not going to do it unless you're making them yep. um, or, you know, getting in extra wrestling workouts or doing extra weight cutting or skipping um, that dessert because it looks tasty, but you know, it's not right. I haven't learned how to do that. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, that's something that I took from Iowa that I was very fortunate to have in Tom and Terry, um, and the other coaches who, um, helped me over my career is just learning about every facet of your life, you know, wrestling there, there's so many factors that go into being great. And, Um, why you you can be great only hitting on three or four of them you you can you can have a lot of success not living a good personal life but you still train hard but why not do everything right and then it's that much more satisfying when you win and even if you don't win you're satisfied because you know you did everything you could so you don't have that question in your heart of man did I do did I do it right or not it's just hey I fell short I mean that's Simple fact. And and I gotta
0: imagine that you're still evolving on the coaching side. Like you're dealing with things that are new. You can you can preach as much as you want about being an athlete because you've been at the pinnacle. You've been state champ, NCAA champ. You've had that success. And as a coach, now I imagine that you're starting this process of even like it's funny, when I was looking through your career and I'm like, Man, for as much success as he's had, I'm surprised his social media following isn't bigger and it's kind of a petty thought but it just kind of led me no. down it kind of led me down the road of like comparing and contrasting the relevance of today and social media versus then and even now for you like if if you were graduating in 2020 your social media following would be like triple four times what it is easily and that's something now with with the younger kids coming in you didn't have to deal with that when you were
1: being recruited that's that's, no it's a different world now uh, that's something that definitely was not even kind of on my mind when i started college and And now your recruits are (laughs) i've probably spent more time on social media in the past year than i have over five years before that combined right Um, just on either paying attention to it or posting um i mean it's one of those things do you adapt or you don't you know what what do you want to do do you want to be successful or not you adapt and again, balance is still key. Um, you don't want to only focus on social media or have that be the only thing that matters, but it's a right. huge, um, it can be a huge benefit as a coach, knowing how to work that. And obviously you see Coach Bono and Coach Reader, I mean, they, they are on top of social media and that's a huge way to get across to, uh, to athletes is social media platforms. And how are you learning that? Like, how are you learning on the coaching side, evolving? Like when
0: you were an athlete to get better and better, you had all these coaches helping you. Now as a coach, how are you continuing to evolve to try to, like if your aspirations are to be the head coach of a D1 program, how are you evolving right now as a coach or trying to continue to evolve?
1: I think uh, a huge thing for me over the last few years is both Um, self-reflection, you know, figuring out where your strengths and weaknesses are, um, and and where your passions are, like what, what is your strong suit? Because every coach is different in in where they excel. Some coaches excel a lot at recruiting. Some excel a lot at, um, coaching in the corner. Some excel a lot at coaching in the room. Some are great with all the administrative duties and just working on everything that deals with administrative. I mean, there's a slew of things and figuring out where your strengths and weaknesses are. And then obviously building on your strengths and trying to figure out how to improve your weaknesses. Um, so that's been huge. And then, um, the biggest way for me to have learned the last uh, few years is to do my best to, to listen and just, um, take it all in, you know, when you're not a, a head coach or you don't have a plethora of experience at a division one coaching level, Sure. Uh, it's certainly beneficial to just listen and try to to be as observant as you can of everything. Yeah, and yeah. I learned that pretty quick of, hey, there's a lot more that goes into it than just wrestling workouts and going to competitions. There's a lot more. So yeah. maybe I know a lot about that because I've been involved in it for years and years and years, but there's a lot of other things to learn. So if you don't know much about that. Just try to try to, you know, try to be as quiet as you can and keep open ears and, and take in every piece of information and knowledge that you can. And then you don't always have to do, you know, you don't have to just copycat, um, but you at least can take those examples from people and use them to your benefit then moving forward. And that's, that's what I've tried to, to learn now in a, in a college coaching setting is things I'm not good at or knowledgeable on, try to learn them. And the things I'm good at, try to, build on them and um, become more and more professional, you know, every day.
0: Sure. And last thing here before I let you go for any Hawkeye fans listening, do you have any great brand stories? I've heard a couple and they're all great. Do you have any to leave the audience with? I mean, I have plenty of
1: um, (laughs) unique ones, little ones. (laughs) So it's not like a big long story. But, uh, I remember one, one day we're doing like here, we have a really, a great strength coach, Billy, Billy, um, Billy Ryder is his name. Um, and he, uh, he's an awesome strength coach. He did CrossFit for a while. He's been with the wrestling team for, I don't know, a few, I think several years now, four or five years. Um, and we do some nasal breathing exercises. So, you know, you'll breathe through your nose and like ride the bike or run on the treadmill. Obviously, you're doing it high enough to get where you almost feel like you're going to hyperventilate. That's the goal is to get where you're really controlling your nasal breathing for a slew of reasons. And he could probably get into the scientific reasons behind them. But then going back to Iowa, I remember coming in for a preseason run one day. And uh, we have what's called a long loop and a short loop. and Um, you know, brands does the normal talk and this and that kind of preseason rah, rah. And then, um, he's like, all right, we're going to run a short loop and, you know, meet back, meet us, meet back in, the in Carver. And usually we do a short loop and then we run hills and we're like, well, that seems kind of easy. And he's like, all right, everybody ready? All right, everybody go to the drinking fountain, fill your mouth up with water. (laughs) 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 We all go fill our mouth up with water. And he's like, all right. You run the short loop. We'll see you back inside in the, the doors of Carver. We'll see you back inside Carver. You cannot drink or spit out any of this water. You better have it when you come back. And we're all just like, what? <laughs> and so we run a short loop and with um you know, with water in your mouth the whole time. And you can imagine that's not very <laughs> fun or easy, but go figure. Nasal breathing exercises before. There were before I maybe maybe Coach Brands knew all about this, but I certainly didn't at the time (laughs) before I had any knowledge of uh, the benefits of nasal breathing. We run a short loop nasal breathing only. And then when we get back, we're running laps or inside, you know, the top of Carver Hawkeye and you're spitting. Everybody has to spit out their water. And I'm I was one of the faster guys. So I usually finished in the top uh, three or four. And so I'm running laps and I'm seeing people come in and the way they're spitting out water. You're just like. Yeah, are you sure you, you followed those rules? Right. That wasn't a, the craziest story I could think of, but that's one that easily pops up that's, yeah, that's a funny, funny PG, but it was funny. You find very unique ways to train at Iowa that are <laughs> – equally fun but also a little crazy
0: you might have to come back on for like a top 10 weirdest training exercises at
1: iowa episode (laughs) oh i got plenty of them they're they're fun man they're fun we we've had a lot of uh had a lot of fun training and workouts there it was uh it was a pretty awesome experience to get to go through that room and um be a part of that program for sure man i can only imagine
0: well listen man thank you so much for taking some time out and coming on the podcast and and crushing it i think you gave a lot of value and entertainment to our audience so thanks man i hope you have a great week
1: thanks a bunch and you have a great week too hopefully uh we can all get back to hustling and moving and grooving here soon but in the meantime (laughs) we hustle and move and groove through uh through skype and zoom and all of our social distancing ways (laughs) to
0: stay connected (laughs) for sure man well, thank you again. Have a great day, and we'll talk soon. And that is it for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. If you did enjoy this episode of the podcast, be sure to leave a five-star rating review on Apple Podcasts, and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on more episodes. For more wrestling content, be sure to follow Bash Mania on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and follow me. I'm at jbash on Instagram and at Bash on Twitter. I'll be back with another episode shortly. See ya. The beat goes on.